0: quarterback. Restore the Roar is a podcast hosted by Michael Ball and features Lions broadcaster and former quarterback Julio Caravana. Each week, this duo will tackle issues involving the B.C. Lions and the CFL. In each installment, they'll also highlight a player, coach, or builder at the amateur level in the province and take a trip down memory lane in the Lions Legends segment. Now, here's Ballsy. I'm Michael Ball. My locker room name would be Ballsy. And a little background about me, I played junior ball with the Rams from 1990 to '93. I've coached high school football football for over a decade in minor football for years as my son was coming up the system here in Regina. He's now playing D1 football in the state, so I got my eye down there as well. As for me, after playing receiver for the undefeated National Championship Rams, I decided to go to broadcasting school, as at the time CFL teams weren't looking for small, fast Canadian receivers. For 20 years, I've covered Riders football as the pre- and post-game host on 620 CKRM. The Rider Radio Network also do the sidelines for home games. But truth be told, I'm just a huge fan of this entire league. I love the BC Lions. So I decided to do my part to preserve and grow this league. And I want to be part of getting this Lions football team the exposure it's lacking and deserves. Now, I... I'm not really known in the community, so I thought, who can I get a hold of that would give me some street cred right away? And you can't do any better than former BC Lions Canadian quarterback and current broadcaster, Julio Caravada, a longtime friend of mine. Julio, thanks for being a part of this venture. I don't know where it's going to go, but uh, hey, you can't win a lottery if you don't buy a ticket.
1: That's right. That's exactly right, Ballsy. But let me tell you, it's been a, it's always a pleasure to talk to you uh, when I do during the season and in the off season about football. I know your passion for the game. And anything that I can be a part of where I've got a guy who's got your kind of passion and love the game, and I can help grow the game, um, especially at the amateur level here in British Columbia, I am all in. So I'm looking very forward to this uh, endeavor of ours.
0: Awesome, man. Okay, so riders and stamps on the road to start for the Lions. Jeez, my friend, in a 14-game season, I think the Lions, who were 5-13 and 13 last year, or two years ago, I guess, they got to start 1-1 one one minimum.
1: Oh, my, my gosh. I mean, and, and that's been something that's hurt this football team the last few years when they have played is their starts to the beginning of their season. So, you know, it's, it's exciting. It's a new chapter. You know, Rick Campbell is now here as the head coach. Um, you know, he's also the co-general manager with Neil McAvoy. I know that they have worked tirelessly even through all the pandemic uh, situation that they've gone through. So, um, but they realize, you know, it's not going to be easy it's going to be a long training camp, but at the same time, Novolta, they're going to be so thrilled to get on the field. But you're absolutely right. To start off the year, Riders Stamps, it's not going to be easy, but I don't think it's going to be easy for anybody. So, again, very critical that they can get off to a, 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 a good start. And um, what better way to start this <laughs> than being in Saskatchewan um, feeling that energy from that crowd it's going to be a great way to kick it all off
0: Can't wait to see you my friend, it's been way too long Hey, yeah. give me three things that you're looking forward to, maybe in no particular order, but from your BC Lions, who, what are you looking uh, forward to?
1: Well, you know, I mean I, I, one, I'm 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 anxious to see you know, one I, I've always admired Rick Campbell from afar, mm-hmm. you know what I mean because he's, he's a lifer, he's a guy that has obviously got, you know, tremendous roots in this league with his dad. But, you know, I mean, as he's worked his way through, and and he's a guy that, you know, has had a ton of success. I mean, there's not very many places he has gone that he hasn't been successful, whether it's even been as a a special teams coordinator, a defensive coordinator, and obviously his success as a head coach. So I'm really looking forward to seeing, you know, him put his stamp on this team. The other thing that I'm really interested about is 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 because of the scenario that we're in with the league and the draft and the two drafts that they've had Mm -hmm. now and those players that haven't really stepped on the field. And we talk about the Canadian draft, but we also have to consider some of the American guys that are all out there as well looking for work, right? There's two years' worth of of guys out there as well. So I'm really interested in seeing, one, how they're going to handle – like training camp and and all the players potentially that are going to be there and the potential of all the players that are going to be not at camp but ready to go. You know what I mean, Balzi? Like Mm -hmm. there are guys that you're going to say, hey, I really like this guy, but we got no room for him. You know, we're going to keep a close eye on him. So the guys that are going to be competing at camp are going to have, I think, you know, one of the most difficult tasks that they're ever going to face because things are going to happen very very quickly and I always think that if you if you can't get off to a good start as a player in training camp like you know what that's like you've covered them I mean if you have a bad couple of practices early on mm-hmm. it's sometimes very very difficult to dig yourself out of that hole and I, and, and then the opposite is true too like with you if you play well and have a you know a good week of practices it's gonna buy you some time and um, it's gonna be interesting with no preseason games, how do you evaluate
0: these guys? Yeah, no, for right? sure. That's a great point. I Now, one thing I'm looking forward to, maybe the third thing uh, we can lump in here is I want to see this Rourke kid they drafted. And and he might not get much time, but I just want to see how he progresses. Because we've talked about yeah. this when I've talked to you many times before. I, and I started this uh, podcast introing you as a broadcaster, but also a former Canadian quarterback. Love to see a Canadian you know, get a legitimate shot. If you want to print money in this league, have a Canadian start at quarterback somewhere.
1: Yeah, no, I, I agree. And and again, he's a very good example of what I'm talking about. Like, so here you go. He came, he gets drafted in the second round. He, there was a lot of hype and a lot of excitement about him coming to training camp. And, and I hey, listen, I was probably at the front of that list and no training camp. Mm-hmm. And now all of a sudden, right, he's now going to be competing with all these other guys that they're going to be bringing in at that position. Right. So the credibility that he might've gained, like who knows what could have happened there. Ballsey. Yeah. like throw you know, he could have come to training camp, had a great training camp. And you know, something could have happened to Mike Riley. And all of a sudden Nathan O'Rourke is our starting quarterback. And he goes out there and kicks ass.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Right. And But now we don't know. And, You know, mean, like I said, like the the, the thing about what's going to be happening here is there's there's a lot of players out there that are looking for work. And and, you know, the Lions just signed a quarterback from the University of Michigan. And, you know, I mean, like those kinds of things, I I, I think that dynamic is very going to be very interesting to see how it all kind of, you know, transpires and how some of these kids are going to make out, you know, given the fact that they haven't been on the field for the last few years, too.
0: Well, the Lions just recently signed former Michigan quarterback Shea Patterson. In your, yeah. opinion, in your opinion, you've been in camp with these guys. You've covered camp with some of these hot shots. They're the next great thing. They come up here and they just can't cut it. What's the biggest challenge these hot shot quarterbacks from college face?
1: Anticipation. You know, the speed of the game. And, and, and here's the thing. Balzi. you've seen it like I've seen it. You could line up 200 guys on a field and watch them throw and go, wow. That guy can really throw. You know, oh, God, that guy looks quick. That guy looks this. But let me tell you, when you step into a game and it's and you're playing against the athletes as you're playing against across the line of scrimmage, and everything is faster, everything is bigger, and your, your ability to process information quickly and anticipate where the ball is going to be as opposed to throwing when a guy is open. Because we all know in college... And especially if you're playing in some of these programs that are, they just have better athletes, you know, you can wait for a guy to break open on an out pattern. You can wait for him to break open on a curl pattern and then you can throw it. But at this level, you cannot, you just can't do that. The window that you have to throw into is so small because the quickness of the guy who's playing across from you. Yeah. Right. So you mean that, that, you know, we're talking and and people sometimes when I say this, they, they laugh at me, but I'm, I'm saying it's like, you know, it's six, seven inches. Sometimes like if a ball's thrown inside on a slant pattern, it's going to get knocked down. But if it's thrown a foot inside that, you know, and when you're talking about throwing a football at full speed, you know, that's, that's, you know, a very, very small little window that you have to throw into. And, and like, as I said, it's your ability to anticipate, what your receiver is going to do and have the courage and confidence to throw the ball into a spot that, you know, the receiver is going to be into and the guys that cannot do that. And I don't care what level of football that you play, you know, whether it's a CFL NFL, whatever, if you can't do that, you're not going to be successful because trust me, I have seen countless guys and I look at them and think, wow, this guy can really spin it Mm
0: -hmm.
3: and
1: look at the way he drops and you get him into a game. And he just can't process process the information fast enough. You got to think to yourself, ballsy. You know, when you're a quarterback stepping up to the line of scrimmage, all the information that you have to process, and not only that, you've got to deal with your own teammates in a huddle. You step out of the huddle, you get a lineman that says, "Hey, by the way, what's the count?" You get another guy that says, "Hey, what do I got on this? Right. Oh, I, got a, I got a six. I've got a dig, so, or you got a bang. And now all of a sudden, you get to the line of scrimmage. Now you got to read the defense. And now you got to look at the clock because now it's gone from you thought it was at 18 seconds, now it's at 6 seconds. Right. And you got a guy across the line of scrimmage who's yelling and screaming at you saying he's going to kick the crap out of you after the game. <laughs> you know he's like? So all those things, You, but I, I try to teach my young guys that all this information that you have to, and you have to do it with a level head. And so it, that's why it's, I think, one of the most difficult positions to play in sport because you have so much thrown at you that you have to process and be able to do. And in, 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 you
3: know we're talking about 2.3 seconds, and that's that's very difficult.
0: Well, I will tell you something. I don't care. You can't complete a pass from your ass. And Mike Riley was on his ass too many yeah. times. Uh, wh- you know that's the other thing I'm looking forward to. This offensive line—they gotta find a way to keep that guy upright because if they can, we know what Mike Riley can do in this league.
1: Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. Yeah. And and, and I think too, you know, they've they've. They've done a good job. They, they, they're keeping Figueroa at that left tackle. They went out and got Riker Matthews. Mm-hmm. They've got a couple of guys coming, like Hunter Stewart's coming back. So some of these guys that – and they, they're hoping that they're going to get, you know, a, a rejuvenated soup Chung, who really did not play well when he was here. So there's a lot of question marks, but I think some of the anchor pieces that they need, they have. Yeah. And that, to me, was big. Getting Riker Matthews from, from Hamilton and free agents – to play that right tackle, I think is is um, you know was a big signing, and so they knew that. Don't kid yourself; they knew going into the you know the last offseason that uh, that they needed to protect Mike Riley better, and and they went out and did it. We'll hope that those guys, because all you, the other part of that too, you can hope to go out and sign. Remember they signed Soup Chung, yeah. and they thought, oh my, god, they gave him a ton of money, and they figured, oh yeah, this is this is going to be the answer. It wasn't
0: the answer. No, it certainly wasn't. We hope
1: that those guys come back and play up to what they're capable of.
0: Yeah, for sure. Uh, Julio, uh, Brian Burnham, he had, uh, looking at the stats, it seems like an eternity ago, but in 2019, second in total yards with 1,492 and touchdown receptions with 11, some unbelievable highlight reel catches. Uh, Where does Brian Burnham rank in terms of the best receivers you've seen in Lion colors,
1: yeah, no, the, he's right up there. You know, Brian, uh, Brian is as a guy that I've, I've been really lucky to cover over his career, and he's just a guy that is. He's very quiet. He goes about his business, but man, oh man, almost—he's—he's he's like a bottle of wine. He gets better and better every year. Mm-hmm. He's just—I think that, like you know, you'll hear a lot of these guys say this that the game. We talk about the quarterbacks and how fast they have to process things. But I think you also reach a point, and Mike Riley's at this point, too, where the game slows down. And I think that's where you got Brian Burnham. I think that there's, he's seen pretty much everything, he's done everything, and there's a level of confidence that he has with his ability that his quarterback knows where he's going to be and what he's capable of, and he just puts it into spots and lets him go get it. And Brian is, is not disappointed. He's a great route runner. You know, he understands defense, and most importantly, he's got great hands. Like he's just, you know, they're soft. You never ever hear the ball clunk off his chest. He's just, he's, you know, just been a joy to watch and a really, really nice young young man uh, to talk to about the game and where it's at. So, you know, I mean, I've I've got nothing but praise for him. He's he's a he's as I said, he's a great player and and ranks amongst one of the best that's ever put the uniform
0: on. So hear me out here. I think the teams that have an established coaching staff with good leadership on the field are going to have the advantage as we go on the shortened season here, uh, however long it is. We're hoping for 14 games, but who knows the way things could change. Very fluid situation. But you look at it, I say Hamilton's got an advantage for their coaching staff. Winnipeg, of course, a solid coming back as the defending Grey Cup champions. Yep. Isn't that funny? Took them however many years to win the Grey Cup, and then they have the longest in history yeah. here, a eh? one, and then and then I think the Riders are pretty good too. Although they add Jason Moss, here's where I'm going with this. Though, I think this um, new coaching staff in BC, under a very accomplished guy in Rick Campbell, this might be a silver lining for the Leos, having this extra time off to get things together. How do you feel about that?
1: Yeah, I I, I totally agree with that. And, and you got to think to yourself too. These guys are these guys are probably sick of Zoom meetings too, right? You know, yeah. they've probably gone over and rehashed and redone and you know, rethought and maybe overthought some things because, you know, they're trying to, you know, trying to make some make work projects at times because they're probably bored out of their head. They want to get on the field and coach. So, you know, the thing about the Lions, and I think for every team is, is and you're right, the experience of the league and understanding the league and understanding the demands on your players, because I think too, Baldy, that the training camp is going to be very, it's going to be very, I don't know, it's going to be really different because there's no preseason. It's going to be a little bit longer because I know the Lions, I think, are going to camp in July 10th. Right. They don't play their first game until August 5th. That's a long time, right? So there's going to be inter-squad games. There's going to be all that kind of stuff. But how do you manage that time? How do you, how do you compete for jobs? And how do you get you the most out of your players but also save your players for a real, you know, I mean, it's not that, you know, it's still 14 games, but you know, you got to get out on a, on a fast start, and before you know it, we're going to be in a September, and now it's a, now it's a sprint now to the to the finish line. Mm-hmm. So, yep. you know, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how teams, uh, uh, you know, handle that part of it because you got to remember something: you can't go in and, and kick the crap out of these guys in training camp, and then have this shortened season where you're going to be playing all the time and traveling and all that kind of stuff. And expect the best out of them so to me, how they handle that training camp and the inner squad games and, and the compete stuff to make judgments on on personnel, that all how it's handled is going to be key too.
0: The interesting thing that uh, we you know we're going to keep an eye on here you got your uh, regular football injuries, but let's talk covid because it's not done who knows if it'll ever be done uh you know the nfl just came out with their policy for vaccinated and unvaccinated players yeah. and it's quite a wide discrepancy in terms of who you can eat with what training facilities you can use even being on charter planes it'll be interesting to see how this issue plays out in the locker room because it's divided society you wonder if we'll have any of those issues inside let's say the bc Lions locker room
1: yeah no that that's interesting guys and i think that's you know, we all I think we can all um, kind of uh, uh, see ourselves in these kinds of situations because of our own workplaces. Right. Like, mm-hmm. you know, we've got people that are that are in our building that are, aren't vaccinated because they, they're you know, they're they don't believe it. They, they, they're not they're not trusting that it's been tested enough, all those things. But, you know, at the same time, like, you know, here, how, how are they going to handle those kinds of guys in the locker room who are, you know, who are staunch? believers in it right cuz that could be something that can really divide a
0: team right right especially if especially if covid goes through there and here's another thing here's an interesting thing cuz coach dickinson of the riders craig dickinson told me this he said you know the one thing that i'm worried about and this is what he was talking about if when they proposed going into the bubble in winnipeg it's it's controlling 20 something year old guys on the road like you, you got to be you got to be um You gotta have your head. You gotta have your wits about you. And I'm hoping a lot of these players have missed football so much that they're going to follow the rules. But they're young kids. They're on the road. And I don't know. Like, let's be let's be honest, Julio. They're making maybe eighty thousand dollars a year. It's not like they're putting eight million dollars in jeopardy. You know what I'm saying? Uh,
1: No, I I hear you. But at the same time, that you gotta be like you say. do Do you value do you value playing football? Do you want it bad enough? right that that you're willing to make those kinds of sacrifices and and the thing is too is the league is probably going to be very very they're going to come down hard on some of these guys right that that if, if if they don't follow the rules that you know if this isn't there's not there's there's no guaranteed contracts here no nope. right like it's it's not like they they you know can't just cut you and release you and say see you later right like so you know I mean? It's going to be interesting to see how that dynamic plays out in the locker room because, again, that's another part of it that is going to be key is the leadership that you have and the dynamic that you have in that locker room can take you a long, long way. And if it, it's, it's, it's fractured or it's brittle, then those are problems that are very, very hard to overcome, especially during a season.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um
1: very
0: difficult. Last question for you, buddy, before I let you go. What kind of football do you think we're going to see here? It's going to be interesting. Like you said, no preseason, longer camp, trying to get your eyeballs on a bunch of guys and get ready for that first game. Here's how I see it. See if you agree with this. I think we're going to see some sloppy football to start. And generally in a a regular 18-game schedule, I've always said this, you have your two preseason games, and then I kind of treat the first two regular season games like preseason games because a lot of your veterans don't play. They got to work out the the game time kinks, uh, offside holding penalties, that type of stuff. But usually in a regular season, by week four or five, you're hitting your stride and we're watching some good football. So this is what I think. I think we're going to have kind of up and down football for the first four weeks. But then, Julio, we might see the best football we've ever seen played in the CFL. We got guys who, let's let's be honest, Mike Riley's 36. But he's not really 36 because he hasn't played in 18 months. So his yeah. birth certificate isn't reflective of the tread that's left on the tires, as I like to say. So these guys are rested. They're ready to go. They're pumped. They're jacked. I think the race to the finish with a lot of divisional games, we could see some of the best football we've ever seen in the CFL. And I hope they market the hell out of it.
1: Yeah, well, I I agree. I think that you know you're going to see early on. I think that you're right. You know, what I mean, the, the, the fact is these, these guys have missed a whole year. You know I mean it, it's been a long time since they played in a competitive game, and doesn't matter what you do in practice, it's still practice, and they know that. So until you line up against somebody else in a different uniform, you know, that's why the preseason is always so good at. You know, giving you some idea of you know what you're going to get, um, but I mean that's again that's that's a big factor. Like how how do you, how does the coaching staff handle the um, the uh, training camp, and how do they handle inter squad games, and how do they you know it's 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 going to be something that they're going to have to address because as I said, you can't afford to come out of the gate and say oh I'm going to wait till week two or three until I start really kind of you know playing some good football, you I mean you can't do that because you could be way behind the eight ball, and all of a sudden now you've got eight or nine games left, and you're chasing, yeah. and you don't want to be in that situation. You, I mean, that's the other part of that. Like, I understand the slot, maybe the potential sloppiness, but man, you've got to try to find a way to get through that because it, that could really, really hurt a few teams if they start out that way.
0: Buddy, this has been fun. I'm, I'm looking forward to great things for this Restore the Roar.
1: I look forward to it as well, Ballsy. Thanks very much for having me, and uh, I look forward to our talk next week. Time
0: now to talk with the fifth-round selection of the BC Lions in the 2021 CFL Draft. Big offensive lineman Tyler Packer. From the University of Calgary Dinos. Of course, he was a mainstay in the offensive line as they went on to win the 2019 Vanier Cup. Now a member of your BC Lions. Here with offensive lineman of the dinos, Tyler Packer. That sounds like an offensive lineman's name. Tyler yeah.
3: Packer. Like a like a road grader, like a
0: Packer. Don't you feel that that's a big offensive lineman's
3: name? I can vibe with that, yeah.
0: <laughs> six foot six, three hundred and thirty-four pounds. What's your biggest challenge in life as a
3: big man? I guess it's kind of the aching joints. That's uh, that's always a big thing. So I lost some weight uh, trying to get uh, lighter on my joints and just little things like that.
0: That's always tough, right? Because as an offensive lineman, they want you to be big, but it also is not, I don't know if that's, physically the way our bodies were meant to be like to a certain point but like you said at a certain point you got to recognize that hey i gotta kind of change things up here
3: yeah so i kind of just think that uh we're kind of i don't know I don't want to say built different because that's a little key, cliche for these days, but I think that we kind of just been molded from a younger age and mm-hmm. figured out that this is what we're going to be doing for a while. So we kind of get used to it at some point.
0: So besides your joints and physical stuff, what, what is a big challenge for you? Is it buying clothes? Is it buying shoes? Is it trying to fit in a certain vehicle? Because I'm pretty sure you're not going to get in a smart car and drive around on or Vancouver.
3: Well, for sure. Definitely the car. Um, I had a Hyundai accent, which is just a tiny car. Um, that was always a big thing for me. And then I'd say if you're going to the Nike outlet or something, just trying to find some shoes there is always difficult. Like you'll never be able to actually find anything in store. It always has to be online. So,
0: and is online, has that always worked out for you or does it not jive with what you see online? You know what I mean? Well, by, by the way, first off, how big are your feet? Um, I wear a size,
3: uh, 14, 15. So
0: So you you order yourself a nice Calgary Dino red and yellow size 15 Nike. mm -hmm. Does it it come like it advertised on the website or do you have a lot of problems with that?
3: Um, I think that the biggest issue is just um, when you order something, you just don't know how it's going to fit. So I have pretty flat feet and... Uh, that sometimes is a big thing. So
0: Now, visually, here for this show, I'm watching you. You have that nice uh, palm tree over over the back, obviously. we yeah. live in Canada where you can't travel anywhere, so it's a fake background. If you could travel right now, where would you want to travel? Besides maybe Vancouver and suit up for the Lions, where would you like to travel?
3: Um, I think if COVID wasn't really a thing, I'd probably head back to Mexico uh, mm-hmm. with a couple of my buddies and just have a good time there. Do
0: you guys do that quite regularly?
3: Uh, we try to. Yeah. Um, just before, I think it would've been my second time with uh, the guys, and so it would've been pretty fun. Where do you go? Uh, Cancun, mostly, yeah. or uh, of Vallarta.
0: So uh, do you run with a couple of your, uh, of your big dogs uh, with a couple of your big dogs on the team, or who
3: do you go with? Uh, just some buddies from high school that I got close with and stuck around with, so.
0: Were you always the biggest guy? I've asked other big linemen this. Were you always the biggest guy growing up?
3: Not weight-wise, but height and everything, yeah. Yeah. Um, And then until I came to Dinos, then that's when I started to feel small when I first got there and then finally figured out that I was just as big as they were. So nice. So how long have you been playing football, Tyler? Um, I've been playing football since I was uh, nine. So 11 years, 12 years. Nice.
0: What position did you start at and what what turned you on to the game?
3: Um, I think for me, it was just the competition that pulled me towards it and then uh when I started playing I was playing o-line d-line uh and when I was young I was playing uh linebacker and wide receiver just cuz I was one of the big athletic kids that was out there and then as I grew up I kind of fell into this o-line d-line uh and then just kept going between the two and that's kind of just where I fell. What do you like about being an offensive lineman? I think one of my favorite things is that you got to work as a unit. I've always been a big preacher on how these guys are your family and that you have to build a relationship with them. And I'd say that that's probably my favorite part about the O-line in general.
0: So let's talk about the BC lines. You get drafted in the fifth round. Did you get wrapped up in any of kind of the pre-draft speculation as to where you would go? Did it matter where you went? Because it's not like the NFL if you fall from round one to round five. Big senior bank account. I don't think it really matters in the CFL as long as you get a chance to get on a roster.
3: How did you feel about the whole? Um, well, kind of. I got a little caught up in some of the in some of the mock drafts, um, but I didn't put too much thought into it. I knew that if I was taken, I was probably going somewhere uh, that I was needed, wanted, um, and that was probably the biggest thing for me. So yeah, that's kind of how I felt about uh, BC. And then just when I got the call, it was pretty amazing feeling.
0: What do the Lions tell you about uh, how you factor into their plans? Because it's weird. it's weird here. We don't know when the season is going to start, how long it will be, and you know, uh, what kind of opportunities young
3: guys have to crack a roster this year. Mm-hmm. Um, well, we haven't talked too too much, but I know just for myself, I'm going to do everything that I can just to prove to them that this was worth something for them and that for the future, whether it's next year, um, this upcoming season, that I'll just be there.
0: Where did the orange rank in your color chart in terms of favorite colors before you got drafted by the Lions? Uh, I
3: got I got some orange. Uh, It was mostly uh, red stuff just from uh, university teams, uh, blue and gold before that. Yeah. Um. But yeah, so orange is now the color scheme for me. So
0: is that swimming for a bigger guy? Cause I know some guys some guys are like gee I don't know like is black slimming or not cuz they have some black in their color scheme too but yeah. uh, how do you like orange for in terms of big guy
3: Yeah I'm I'm not sure but I'm excited to find out so.
0: <laughs> did, you, did they give you a
3: hat or something did you get something in the mail from them no, no nothing like that no
0: CFL teams got to step up their game man well guess what I'm really looking forward to seeing you either uh, in Calgary colors or in BC Lions colors Thanks for this, time, I really appreciate it, man. And uh, who knows? Maybe I'll see you on a beach in Mexico someday.
3: All right. Sounds good to me. Thank you.
0: Pasaglia, three of five on the day. He's nailed 27, 42, and 47 yarders and missed 49 and 37-yarders. And let's not forget, the key here is for him to kick it as far as he can, because even if he misses it, the cover guy's got to hustle down and try and get a single. This for the win. This is Lions Legends, a trip down memory lane with a player, coach, or builder that left their mark on BC Lions history. And what better way to kick off our first Lions Legends segment than talking with the greatest coach in CFL history in terms of wins and losses, a Canadian football Hall of Famer, and a guy synonymous with football in BC, well, right across Canada, none other than the great Wally Buono. First off, Wally, how are you doing in this uh, COVID time?
2: Well, we're hanging in there like everybody else is. Uh, so, it's, you know, it's something that you have to just be patient with. And uh, at the end of the day, just follow the guidelines that we've been given and stay healthy.
0: Is patience one of Wally Buono's strong suits? <laughs> well, I, I guess some of the times.
2: Uh, sometimes I'm very patient, and sometimes I'm very abrupt. So. You know, I I think with uh, this whole COVID thing, you know, it is what it is. And uh, I think you have to try to be disciplined. And uh, at the end of the day, you got to put other people before yourself. You know, you got to protect them. And uh, obviously, if you do that, then it's good for everybody,
0: right? Wally, one of your uh, bosses passed away and a friend of yours, David Braley here. When's the last time you talked to uh, Mr. Braley?
2: Well, you know, the the nice thing about uh, David and I is that uh, we were just not, an you know, employee-employer. We were friends, and after I retired, we, you know, we would talk at least, you know, two or three times a month, and, uh, you know, just to get caught up, uh, you know, and uh, so I, I had talked to David maybe about two weeks prior to uh, his passing, and, uh, you know, at that time, I could really, really sense uh you know his uh he was tired and uh, you know when he's, you know, when you deal with all these health issues they they do wear you down and i could just sense in the tone of his voice that day that uh he was really really getting tired and uh you know it was sad to get the news uh, from the family that uh, he had passed uh but at this point i guess uh you know you got to say he's at peace and uh you know he's uh yeah it, it was tough to get. You though. know,
0: Wally, when you go through something like that, one of your one of your you know close uh, friends, and uh, like we said, your employer passes away. Somebody you had a, a real good relationship with. How much does it make you reflect on your own mortality?
2: Well, it's not just David. You know, uh, when you uh, look at what goes on in, let's just say, in your life, which has been sports, and you look at players that you played with, coaches that have coached you, uh, you look at other sports heroes that you followed, uh, you know, and you see them at the same stage where you're at as far as age, you know, and, and they're passing away. And, you know, life is about a cycle. And, uh, you know, so you do reflect on, you know, the positive. I always try to look back on, you know, how much and how good life has been to me. And, uh, you know, don't take for granted uh, that you're going to live another 20 years. Uh, enjoy today and Uh, be helpful as much as you can
0: great advice from the hall of famer wally Buono. wally why was uh why was David Braley so passionate about our league, the Canadian Football League? I never got the negative press about David Braley. Yeah, he could be cantankerous. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he had his he had his own mentality. He was stubborn at times. But hey, I could say the same thing about Wally Buono. He could be stubborn. He can be cantankerous. But this is a guy that put his money where his mouth is. He he had the Tiger Cats and then he had the Lions and Argos at the same time. If it wasn't for David Braley, we wouldn't we wouldn't be talking about the CFL right now.
2: Well, no, that's true. Right? And you know, David, God bless him, uh, as much as he was uh, uh, contagious at times and opinionated, he was always a team player, you know, uh, in the board of governors' meetings and, and whatever. Uh, you know, he would make his point. He would stress his point. He would fight for his point. But if, you know, if the board voted in a certain way, he was always uh, there to support that that uh, you know that direction you know and, and a lot of people don't know that because they're not there but you know i, I know how david felt about a lot of things didn't always agree but yet uh, if the majority voted uh, to do something uh, he was a team player and uh, you know when you look at what he did for other teams not just the, the three teams you mentioned but there was teams that he had no affiliation with that he would uh, you know make a payroll that he would make a large sum of money as a loan to them so you know As you said, David put his money where his mouth was. And, uh, you know, obviously, uh, his passion for the CFL, uh, I think, comes from his childhood. Uh, You know, he played football. He was around guys like Russ Jackson that I think played at the same school. And, you know, Jim Young and... uh, you know, David uh, always saw himself as a guy uh, who loved football, who knew football, who understood football. And, you know, it, it, it was probably one of his first
0: loves. Was he a hands-off owner in the sense that he didn't really meddle with your football decisions? I remember one time I'm on the sidelines at Old Taylor Field doing the sideline reports, and I'm like, who's this? I think, well, Dave Dickinson was out, and he's he's standing next to David Braley, but I couldn't make out, you know, it's like, who's this small guy beside uh, Braley? And it was... Uh, it it was Dave. He was out for that game. But I'm thinking to myself, like, I don't know, does Wally like his owner being on the sidelines? What was that like, having David Braley down on the sidelines?
2: Well, you know, the funny thing about that is, is Dave asked for permission. Okay? You know, and, and I, I, said, I said, Dave, David, you're, you're the owner of the club. You don't need to have permission to come to the sidelines. He said, no, no. He says, uh, you know, I really, really enjoy coming down. I really enjoy seeing the game but I don't want to be in the way I don't want to be perceived that I'm meddling. I don't want to be, I said, David, uh, you know, I know how you are. I understand how you are. Uh, You coming down to the sideline is, is, is fine with me. And, uh, you know, so he was always very, very respectful of the roles. Uh, Wouldn't come into the locker room when it wasn't appropriate. Wouldn't come into anything that wasn't appropriate. You know, I I think I can remember uh, him even uh, when time asking if if it was okay if he came to training camp, you know, because he didn't, well, you know, he, David was like that. He didn't want to be uh, perceived that he was interfering. Yeah. And I said, David, you want to come to training camp? You're paying the bills. Don't worry about it. You can come anytime you want. So,
0: you
2: know, he he had a certain protocol. And I think David, as we all know, is very, very old school. And, you know, he he definitely respected people that worked for him if they earned it. You know, and that's the thing I think that we all have to understand that David, uh, you know, respected you, but he made you earn that.
0: Wally, can you give me one story where you and uh, David butted heads? Because Wally Buono comes to BC. He's a, <laughs> w- Wally Buono comes to BC, and he's an accomplished coach and GM, and he has his way of doing things. And I don't think you get rich like David Braley by falling off the turnip truck. You have your way of doing things. So is there one story you can give us where maybe you butted heads and, uh, you know? What?
2: Well, uh, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you two, sh- two short stories. Yeah. Right? So, yeah. So, um, In the CFL, there's a certain bonus that other teams were giving players and coaches, okay, that was very advantageous. And so I had approached David on doing it, and David was very, very careful about making sure that there was never any uh, issues with how we did our business. Mm -hmm. So, you know, David said, well, look, um, let me go talk to my uh, accountants. And I'll get back to you. So he did talk to his accountant. He came back to me and says, "Uh, no, Wally, we can't do that. So a couple of months later, uh, I make the same phone call. I say, David, you know, it's a competitive disadvantage to us that we can't uh, do this bonus this way. And uh, so he says, Wally, um, I'll get you a written uh, uh, assessment of this whole process. So I do that. He sends it to me. Now it's uh, the third time I go back to him, and I and I could sense now David's getting really, really annoyed with me, right? And uh, <laughs> you know, so so I let it go, you know, and I said to myself, I will never ever bring this up to David again. He was polite, but you could tell that I was getting his dandruff up. Uh, you know, I mean, here another time is uh, David calls me, he says, "Well, I've been going through the financials." And I see this item, uh, and it was for $100. He says, could you explain to me what this item is for $100? And I said, David, honestly, I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) And so I went in, checked on it, got back to him, told him what it was all about. And he started laughing, and I said, David, it's just like you to to make sure you check things, ask me about it so that you keep me on my toes. (laughs) And he said... He said, "Well, this is what I appreciate about you." He says, "You know, when when I ask something, you'll go find out for me, and uh, you know, yeah. uh, these these are the kind of things that made David who he was because he took care of the little things." and he was always aware of the little thing. The big things always took care of themselves, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Hey, what about when you what about when you go to him and say, "Listen, we need like for instance, we need Dave Dickinson. I want to bring Dave Dickinson to BC." <laughs> How does that go down? How does the back and forth go there?
2: Well, you know, the, the thing with David is David's got his own opinion and he's got his own thought process and, you know, uh, as I said to you earlier uh, in this uh, interview is, you know, he uh, is somewhat of a football guy for being an owner, mm-hmm. and uh, he knew Dave's value. And, and what I said to my, we had a plan on how we could do it, why we were doing it, uh, you know, how it would affect the organization, how it would affect the season ticket holders, the sponsors, the community, and you know, and Dave was like this: "Well, just let me know how much it's going to cost, I'll write you the check." Okay, you know, David, you know, uh, uh, I went to him. I, we needed the better computers, better uh, football technology. And I went to David, and, you know, and the, and the bill was huge. And I said, David, we need this. And he said, well, prove to me that you need this. So we, I went through everything. Uh, next thing I know, you know, he, I gave him the uh, purchase order. He signs it. You know, David was like, you know, he's a businessman. He understood that you had to spend money, you know, a training camp. We wanted better facilities. And David said, okay, fine. Uh, You know, give me a plan. So we did. We go to Cambridge, talk to the city, talk to the university, get great facilities. But the costs went way up, right? But yet he saw it uh, as a mechanism to help football and football operations. And you know, David uh, didn't mind spending a dollar if it was going to help his football team be better.
0: How, how refreshing was it for you, Wally, to come over to the BC Lions and have an owner like that when, you know, in Calgary, you were the anchor in Calgary because the ownership there towards the end was real dysfunctional. Uh, they were counting pennies and maybe didn't even have the pennies to count. You go over and you come to David Braley and it's a different story. How, how different was that for Wally Buono?
2: Well, no, it, it was different, and you know, it, it, you know. Again, I got a million stories, but you know, I, I signed a player when I first get there, and you know, this signing bonus is substantial, and mm-hmm. so I do it like I did in Calgary. In Calgary, we could never give a large sum of money at one time because, like you say, it wasn't always in the bank. So I write uh, the contract up that I pay him on monthly installments. Okay. So I get a phone call from David uh, after I signed the player, and uh, he says, Well, what are you doing? I says, uh, what, what do you mean? He says, uh, You just signed so and so. I said, Yeah. He said, You gave him a signing bonus, yeah, which is all good. He says, Why aren't you paying him the signing bonus all at one time? I says, Well, David, uh, where I come from, I always did it in installments. He says, In uh, When you sign a player, you'll always have that money in the bank. You don't have to worry about money in BC. You just do your job, sign the best players, make us the best football team, and I'll make sure that you always have what you need. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's, again, uh, the way David did business, and, uh, you know, he wanted you to do what you needed to do to do your job, and he would always give you Uh, the wherewithal to be able to
0: do that. Mm -hmm. Okay, a couple more quick questions for you, Wally. What would you say David Braley's legacy should be? How how do you think he should be remembered?
2: Well, I I think, you know, the the thing about David is that he should be remembered first and foremost as a great, great Canadian. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, I understand his legacy in the CFL, but I believe that that's almost small in comparison to uh, his legacy as a Canadian. What he did, uh, you know, in southern Ontario, uh, you know, what he did, uh, you know, in the, in the business community, uh, you know, what he did in the in national community. You know, he was a senator. Uh, he was involved, you know, with the prime minister at times as being, a fi- uh, I guess, a financial advisor. Uh, you know, what he did for uh, charities, uh, for hospitals, and for medical research uh in uh in Ontario you know so when you look at all of that and then you compare the fact that what he did as an owner I I think in some ways what he did as a as a CFL owner is small in comparison to what he did for the country as a whole so you know to me a great Canadian uh, a great CFL uh, partner because he was a partner it was never about what was best for David. It was always, what's best for the CFL? And I said, uh, if he had to write a check... Uh, David was never shy about doing that.
0: You know, you just kind of described yourself, Wally. You were, a, you know, you're a great Canadian. You've helped out various charities. You go around and speak at dinners. I know you were out here with the Regina Thunder, it seems like 14 years ago, but it was just last <laughs> last spring when the world was so much different. You obviously were a great player in the league. You're an accomplished coach. But Wally, how concerned are you about Canadian football going forward at the CFL level here?
2: Well, you know, I, I would be lying if I didn't have concerns. I know David was very, very adamant about the fact that he wanted to play in 2020. You know, uh, Mm
1: -hmm. uh, he
2: wanted to play. He knew how important it was to play. And he knew that it was going to be a financial cost. Uh, Yet I think uh, he understood that that was going to be worthwhile. So, you know, I'm not sure what's going to happen in 2021. Obviously, uh, the CFL is a big part of uh, who Canada is, you know, uh, hopefully uh, the nine owners and the league could come to a consensus and get things done so that we can have a season in 2021. Because no matter whether there's fans or not, uh, football has to be played. Because really, when you look at it, the CFL is really the only league right now, I think, in North America that isn't playing that was playing.
0: Yeah, no, you're right. Hey, are you concerned about the future of the Lions now with no David Braley?
2: Well, you know what? Uh, I'm going to say yes, but I'm also going to say, knowing David, he's probably put things in place uh, to help the BC Lions get back on their feet. So. You know, I'm going to trust David for uh, uh, being ahead of us because I've always said to David, I should have been listening to you, David, 25 years ago when you bought this investment or you bought that investment or you did this because David would do all that kind of stuff. And, you know, I'm hoping that uh, there's plans in place uh, for the BC Lions at this point to be carried till we do have uh, uh, ownership. And I I do believe that there are uh, people that want to own the club
0: I'm going to assume you're enjoying retirement, uh, Wally, but would, would, you know, has anybody reached out? You know, they say, don't waste a crisis, don't waste a crisis, make sure you're better on the other side of this. So I'm going to hope that we're not just going to throw away a hundred plus years that we're going to have a CFL. Has anybody reached out to Wally Buono and got your thoughts on, on what to be done going forward? And would you be uh, open to helping out maybe in like a consultant role or something like that?
2: Well, I, I think you have, so I'm going to say that you're ahead of the game. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I, right now, you know, I, I would just say that people have to have a plan. That they have to develop a plan. And I think once they do that, then they have to get people that are willing and able to sell the plan. Because it's going to be a big, big, uh, I think, uh, project to get the CFL, you know, back to where it needs to be to be, you know, successful uh, in
0: 2021. All right, Wally, thanks for this. I always appreciate your time. Have a good day and have a great show, bud. This has been Restore the Roar. If you have a story idea you'd like the guys to pursue, email Michael Ball at mball at (laughs) harvardbroadcasting.com.